0: Welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working. Phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn? To hear what other leaders are doing? To hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics, to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of customer insight, data and analytics. I'm your host, Paul Lachlan, and with me today is Howard Barber. He's the Director of Data Analytics and Insight at Golden Charter, one of the UK's leading funeral plan providers, and Howard's an experienced data analytics, CRM, marketing technology leader, with over 25 years' experience of working actually both agency side and from a corporate perspective as well. In recent years, having moved to Scotland, uh, much of that focus has been on data, marketing tech, analytics transformation within financial services companies, um, including Standard Life, Tesco Bank, and now Golden Charter. Howard is also the vice chair of the DMA in Scotland, with a focus on supporting and progressing the maturity of data and marketing talent there in Scotland. Good to have you with us, Howard. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. Uh, It's good to
1: be here. Nice to speak to you again.
0: Yes, absolutely. Good to have you as a guest. Regular listeners to our podcast may recall that back in episode 25, Faraz from Standard Life Aberdeen both recognized Howard as a mentor in his development and challenged him to appear on this podcast too. So there we go, Faraz. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: Challenge accepted.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm looking forward to this conversation. So um, before we get a off in the normal way that I do with guests, asking them to share a bit of their career history, their backstory, I'm conscious a lot of the listeners probably won't have heard of Golden Charter as a firm. Can you just explain who Golden Charter are, what, what your current employers do?
1: Yes, so um, Golden Charter have been in existence for around about 30 years, um, and as you've said, they've we sell funeral plans, um, and I think that's probably a, a product that not everybody's ever a full understanding of, but essentially mm. it's an opportunity for you to prepay and pre-prescribe uh, what you would like to happen at, at your funeral and also to uh, allocate that to a, a, a potential funeral director that you want to look after your funeral for you. Um, so in effect, it's, um, it is a financial arrangement because you're you're pre um but you're looking at really right at the end of life and, pres- and prescribing exactly what you want to happen at, at your funeral and paying and describing the services that you want right down even to you know what 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 type of coffin do you want or mm-hmm. what music you want played at the at the, yeah. at the ceremony itself so it allows um allows consumers to to express their wishes um, but most of the time, it's to help um, give peace of mind to to their family that that sort of expense is covered. But um, there's also, you know, a growing demand from from people to to be able to express their wishes at the end of life. Um, we are um, we are looking. We look after independent uh, funeral directors. Uh-huh. So a great swathe of the, of the of funeral director market is. Is owned by um, larger corporates like the Co-op, which is probably mm. what everybody, most people will under, understand as a as a funeral director, mm. and another company called Dignity. But we operate with a three thousand or so funeral directors that that operate as as their own businesses as independents,
2: mm.
1: uh, and we provide the services for them. We also um, offer the the opportunity to take that product directly from us or or via intermediaries, um, IFAs and the like. Okay. Um, so so yeah so. We operate in that market, and many people probably are aware of that if they ever watch daytime TV and see um, many of the the over fifties plans. It operates in a very similar similar space to that, although that's in an insurance backed uh, sure. uh, product.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I think it was worth sharing actually because I think uh, having called it just a funeral plan provider might have um, underestimated what a customer centric role that sounds actually. It's it's a more complete solution. I see that. Thank you. Yes. OK, like I do with our, our other guests, just so as a context, what we explore in more detail, people know where you're coming from. Could you tell us a bit about your background? Um, and I'm particularly interested in how you benefited from some experience on the agency side and the client side roles.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I guess my, my background has pretty much been in the, in the marketing services Space from from the mm-hmm. outset. So, where I got started to be really interested in in data and how data can help um, organisations started in the market research field. Um, so, as a as a, a graduate who came out of a uh, doing a politics degree, which may sound a bit strange, right. when you ended up right. in a in a data analytics sphere. Yeah, I was really interested in in m- much of the course focused on social policy, social research. Mm. um that got me exposed to what was then um i guess spss in its in its Mm north in its first guys Mm -hmm. that came out the academic world um so but i really was really interested in research and and so i i went for a role a graduate role at um, what was national opinion polls which has now become uh gfk what was called nop um Mm. and ended up in in financial research um, not by choice, I really wanted to get into political research, but right. the way the graduate scheme works, um, that was the role that was open to me. Um, mm. And actually, in hindsight, I was glad because it gave me an opportunity to to start to work with quite large quantitative data sets um, mm. and really be at the forefront of helping, in particular, marketing departments within a range of, you know, blue chip banks and building societies. Um, to start to uncover what you know bring the customer much more to the fore of their thinking in marketing and also just yeah. from the point of view of tracking things like market share and so on and so forth mm. but it was the the analytical exposure that gave to, to me but it was also using data to help drive decisions that that really fascinated me and so from from there um, it was also the time when online banking was starting to come a thing to show my age now back in the,
0: back in the 90s <laughs> I remember mid-90s. as well Howard don't worry yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so I got particularly fascinated with that that the emergence of that channel um, mm. and that led me to go to Forrester Research mm. um, and build up their sort of customer research uh, basis there off the back of online research which is a new thing um, coming to the fore Spent a couple of good years, uh, quite crazy years at Forrester, phenomenal growth, and then the bubble burst. Mm-hmm. And then it was a, a difficult time. Forrester, a great company in, in, mm-hmm. in that context in helping, um, you know, companies just understand the impact of technology. Um, and then I went back to, off the back of that, I went back to to NOP, and really started to diversify into sort of web usability work, early stages.
2: Right.
1: Then I met... Um, they brought in a more of a, a, cons, a consultant into the team. Mm-hmm. We were looking to try and move up the food chain a bit in terms of a sort of strategic offering um, rather than just being a core research provider. And I got quite close to him and we, and both of us eventually then went off to, to start a department at uh, a marketing agency um, called Iris. And the reason we did that is we we spent a lot of time looking at how large tracking Research data sets could be integrated with customer data sets particularly yeah. from the sphere of customer satisfaction you probably know some of this from from your time at, at Lloyd's pool um, yeah. and how we can help you know um, I guess what it would be would be process improvement how can you literally work out how you can move someone up the customer satisfaction chamber by understanding their experience um in the context of the you know the the business processes that a financial services company takes you through Mm -hmm. um and your experience as a result of that and how we how we can improve those processes um to improve the experience so we got a lot into database marketing building segmentations that we then rolled out onto databases and that led us into going into market agency to try and take that on um, as a concept and and deliver it through a, a marketing agency, partly because um, we'd started to do that with this particular marketing agency, Iris, but also we we were both frustrated that a lot of the work we did in the segmentation and integral work up front wasn't necessarily being translated through when it came to the fulfilment of that. Um, yeah, yeah. So we spotted that gap and it worked really well, but it's the same time that I met my now, my now wife um, and it got to a point where um, it was really proving difficult to... To sort of live in Scotland and, and work in and work in London, so yes. I decided to to make a break. Was slightly difficult because and you know built a really good relationship with my my partner there. Um, but you know one of those things you have to do in life is make that decision. Um, mm. And I then started to do similar things with um, a Scottish based agency, which was called Navigator, which then mm-hmm. um, was owned by cello group um and as they went through the process of ownership switching from um, the individuals that started the organization up into a wider entity i worked there for four or five years um and actually met my now boss who's working at golden charter so it's uh, oh, it's, right. always a, it's always this close knit family uh yeah, the, world of, yeah. the world of data and marketing um but i finished with the agency side and i thought uh, i came out and started working for myself um I will to give that a go. Well, I had the opportunity to do that. Spent um, quite a number of months down with United Utilities. Again, it's it, segmentation work, mm-hmm. looking at databases, looking at how you can, um, you know, move segmentation onto databases, then make it part of the part of the organisation in that mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. Um, to then start life at Standard Life, there was an opportunity that came up: a maternity cover, um, and I, I just went from it and built from there. Met some very like-minded in, individuals in and I know Firaz has referenced that and Stephen Ingle-Dew, mm-hmm. um, and Mark Dixon who is a who was a CTO cio and we we spent a number of good years just um, I guess progressing the the customer agenda more more mm-hmm. ready within within standard life but mm-hmm. really starting to drive out how we can utilize data um, to help drive out you know actionable decision making and then mm-hmm. quite literally through through the use of sort of decision in type of techniques, which we, we started to explore um, about how, you know, we could utilize that in call centers and bring mm. through mm. analytical models to help, you know, force, force the conversation to certain certain ways built on
2: mm.
1: um, some of those triggers that were being pulled out in, in, in those channels. So no, really enjoyed that. And, you know, at the time, just to reference back to Firaz met, met Firaz and I had to build a team up really from scratch. Um, so, and, and that's formed, a, uh, I guess, for the last eight or nine years, a really um, a sort of key part of what I really enjoy. Mm. Um, um, really sort of going in and doing change, transformational roles, um, building teams, nurturing those teams so that they can then take on, uh, I guess, what they've learned and, and start to really mature a capability. Um, yeah and i've in, I've enjoyed the the sort of of growing and nurturing talent in that respect, and that's really what has helped um you know sort of drive my interest in in the sort of talent agenda um mm. in particular uh, with my work we're doing through through the d m a um but just to finish off, I then spent number of good years, went to Tesco Bank to really focus on marketing capability, got really interested in marketing technology and how we could progress that right things. It was, a, it was an agenda around a, a sort of customer-led initiative, which there was a change in, um, in a sort of senior leadership and a change in direction slightly um, mm. in that context. So, you know, had a couple of good years, but um, moved on from there, was working out, trying to work out what to do next. I was thinking about um, whether to go back into doing some, some consultancy or, or to have a look at another guy, and, and Karen who's my now boss who I I'm, met, I'm when I first came up to Scotland, uh, she phoned me up and asked me to, to come in and, and talk about data strategy and how do you bring that into an organisation? Um, mm. And before I knew it, she persuaded me to take on <laughs> a contract for six months. And then, uh, you know, I got really interested in what we were trying to do. And I, I was interested from the perspective of, I guess, a, a smaller company um, mm. and how you can take many of the different things that, I know that you can benefit from, from, from data and, and CRM and and, 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 you know, helping with, with marketing technology uh, and, and bring that into an organization like, like Golden Charter. Um, so, yeah, so that, and, and that's where I am now. Um, having just spent the last year, as I was talking to you about recruiting a team basically virtually, um, which is right. a, complete, a complete new learn for me, mm-hmm. but, it's been an interesting interesting challenge and it's right but it's also been refreshing in some of the ways in which we've embraced trying to build that team ethic um while we've never met each other <laughs>
0: yes literally
1: yes. so yeah that's I guess the flavor of my career all the way through has been has been at the core of it data but it's it's more about its application um mm. Mm. in terms of decision making uh in terms of helping with with strategy formation but more often than not, it's, it's to help with, with marketing, marketing effectiveness mm. and, cons- and customer experience.
0: Great, great. Thank you, Howard. I, I hear those, those themes in it. And thank you for sharing so much detail in that. It really, really brought it to life. There's a couple of things, I guess, struck me as I was listening to you then. The first was, it's interesting, a number of the guests I've had on this podcast kind of fall probably the majority into the camp of they've sort of fallen into this line of work. They weren't intending it. Yes.
2: Um,
0: and then a minority in quite an intentional plan. Oh, I'll get rid of that experience, that experience, because I'm, I'm trying to head there specifically. I guess listening for, for those kind of themes in what you heard, I heard a lot about people. It seemed a lot that the that the consultant you worked with, the person who became your business partner, the decision, obviously, uh, with your future wife uh, of where to move, um, the people you um, got to meet in, in standard life, the the agency person who's now your boss at golden charter, a lot of it seems to be out of human relationships that has nudged you toward new opportunities and new ways to develop your career. Is that something you recognize that it's been very people led?
1: Absolutely. Um it has it has, I mean, it, there's the interest in in the in the field generally. And I think the mm. interest is for me is sparked from very much looking at how you can tackle a problem um and deliver a deliver a solution with evidence mm. and data running through it. I mean at it, it, its heart. And I think I think I got that from, you know, educational background and um mm. having to to look at complex areas and work out, you know, solutions to them. But um but my career would be nowhere without the people that I've met. Um and the sort of the the interactions I've had with them and the relationships I've built with them mm. that I think at the, at the heart of it, Paul is you, you build a, you build trust and, it, yeah. and often in the area that we're in, it's, it's not an easily understood area. There's, there's mm. definitely, you know, there's a lot of myth about it being overtly complex or even, you know, particularly geeky in nature. And I think, yeah. um, particularly for those that recognize um, its value and, and wanting to invest in it, they're not necessarily got the, the trust and the confidence in the people that they know exactly what, what they're going to get. And I think yeah. I, I've certainly benefited from building uh, strong relationships with mm-hmm. um, people that I've worked with, and giving them the confidence that, despite the fact they might not literally understand technically how we deliver mm-hmm. these things, um, they got the confidence that I, you know, that we can deliver to that, and it can be represented at a, a, a more senior level, as it were. Yes. Um, so I think that's probably where it's come from, and I, and, I, and as we were talking about, I just I enjoy the people side of, 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 life and work. Um, yeah. cause it's not, it, it really isn't just about going, going and doing, doing the proverbial nine to five, you, you, mm-hmm. you know, the enjoyment comes, um, from the, the people that you meet, the experiences that you have together. And, and, and I guess the, you know, front of a better expression, the, the journey that you go on. Um, yeah. So I've always valued that. And I think that's, that's an important side to thinking about a career in any career, but in particular within data. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, that's one of the, the key aspects when we think about talent nurturing is, is to recognize it's not just about the skills that you have with data. It's about the, the application of the whole, the whole um, subject area and how you get the best value out of, uh, of using data and information to, to tell stories, build mm. confidence and help make decisions.
0: Absolutely. Well, you're preaching to the choir with me, you know, I, I'm the hashtag people side of data guys, So I <laughs> yeah, completely, completely agree. The, the other thing that um, I guess I heard it cropped up a few times in, in what you shared in your career story was this almost frustration that segmentation work, particularly, I think you identified, shouldn't kind of sit as a, an academic exercise or just an analytical piece. It was how could you deploy it? You know, we've had a few guests on this podcast, more focused in the decisioning space for as recently had James Dunlop as well. Um, is that something you, again, you recognize as a real need out there in corporations for segmentations, particularly to be, oh, it's a horrible word, but operationable. <laughs> yeah, <got> uh, Operationalisable. <laughs>
1: <yeah. laughs> um, 100%. Um, and I think it, it draws on um the the whole aspect around around change. Um, mm-hmm. Because what, what what you're inevitably doing with these the 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 advancements that you have now in, in technology and, and the use of data um is you're inevitably leaning on um people and, and process side of things much more. Um, and as a result of that, you you've got to be able to be confident that you, you can deliver operationally what you've set out to achieve through the, through the technical sphere. And, and I guess yeah. to, to bring that to life, you know, if you, the idea of say, having um, the ability to make, to make a decision and a script or a certain set of triggers can appear in a, in a call center for a call center uh, handler to then use as the the way they navigate a conversation. Mm. You've got to realize there's a, there's a human that's interpreting what that decision has has told them to do and then is and then is relaying that. Mm. And if they're not gonna, if they're not buying into that process or it feels completely removed mm. or completely unnatural, then it, it's just not gonna work. Mm. Um and the same can be said for um you know, marketing teams that have to deliver the execution of um, you know, the whatever the type of communication is that uh, the data is telling you to. To do next um and are they bought into how that should be communicate how, how you should communicate that mm-hmm. through the execution itself um and i guess what um maybe in a slightly complex way trying to trying to get through is that you've got to take the people with you and the culture's got to develop um alongside the the, the technology or technology change that you're, you're putting in place if you do do you do the technology well but forget about the, the people and culture change then then it will fail um, yeah and and quite often um, and if you, if you you keep it academic and you keep it technical in nature and you know the whole of the the end-to-end cycle doesn't understand those different parts that you, you're trying to put forward then it, it's going to fail um, yeah. and that's important and that's a, a massively important thing um, to take on board when you're thinking about you, utilizing, you know, whatever technology and data to create, a, to create a change. You have to think about people and process at the, at the same time.
0: Yeah, com- com- completely agree. It's interesting hearing you, How I'm, I'm struck that you started your career more with the market research side and that more psychological focus, I guess. I'm wondering, there's a lot of psychology in what you're saying still, which is, is, is good to see continue. Yeah. Uh, when we last spoke, um, which was, was a while ago actually, before, before more recently, I know you were very passionate about building the capability of your people. Is that still a focus for you as a leader where you are now?
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I've not lost that. Um, uh, i it's just reflecting it because some of the some of my um, my team now I, I, I am constantly on about their personal development uh, uh, to the extent where they you know they can say, "Oh, not that again." Um, but <laughs> I think it's it, it's just so important to mm. me. To see, um, and I think that's one of the benefits that you get out of—you're not just doing a job. You're, you're, yes, you're in a career, but you're also you've you've got you're giving the benefit of your experience to folk. But you want to see you want to to see them grow, and I enjoy that. Um, I really do enjoy that side of 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 working life. Um, And certainly, what's interesting me now is bringing um, what to some people that in my team that brought together feel like. That were disparate areas so mm. i look after a, a research and insight team and i also look after a, a data governance sort of team and
2: right.
1: they'd probably be the last two people in an organization that might, might think about working together um mm. but it's about expanding you know it, the horizons of, of thought around your team and then helping them to understand how all these constituent parts can work together Mm -hmm. um and 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 turn that 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 sort of the the sum of those parts into into a into a greater whole and i'm 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 fascinated by seeing that develop and i'm also i'm also really keen to make sure that the time that we spend together is they, they get a value out of it not just from the point of view of the company is you know gets the reward of this the the things that we can we can bring to it but also the individuals that are involved in that Enjoyed a time, enjoyed their work, but also feel that they're they're progressing in in their careers. It's 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 really important to me, um, and one of the the pleasures I Take, I mean, it. I'm quite, I'm, you know, I don't. It was in, really interesting hearing Firaz's playback, um, mm. and uh, it was in, in many ways, you know, sort of, you know, give me a bit of an, an emotional kickback because it was just great to see how Firaz has developed. Um,
0: great,
1: and it was great to see how he took on. Well, I, I just minor cues, and maybe you should have a look at this. Maybe you should have a look at that, and it, it's down to him that he's he's progressed particularly around his work with the DMA, but but beyond that. Um, but it is it it really I enjoy that part of of of, of working life, Paul. Um, and I'll, I'll you know I'll always endeavour to make sure that the experience you have when you're working in the team is a is a is a rich one and a rewarding one.
0: Yeah it makes good sense. I empathize with a lot of that, Howard. Also your point about the data governance, I can remember leading data management, analytics, modeling, market research, decisioning, all, all those different kind of technical teams. and it is a, it's a cultural challenge bringing them together, but they can benefit hugely from how diverse those, those types of people are. Yeah I, I didn't want to go on any further um, without picking up that you've touched a number of times on the, the work you do with the DMA and this data and marketing talent. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Exactly what is that? Yeah, so
1: um, I guess, uh, you know, the Data and Marketing Association, uh, as they've become in, in recent times, um, I've been involved with the DMA oh, probably about 15 or so years.
2: Mm.
1: Always, um, always recognised and, and enjoyed um, many of the things that they gave back to the industry, Code of conduct and and things of that nature, and sort of the vital work they were doing around the the discipline that marketing as as an industry needs to have around around data. Yeah, Um, and also you know it was always um, respectful and and supportive of all the lobbying work they did on behalf of the industry. But Mm. in in more recent times, I got I wanted to get more involved in in the sort of the the inner workings of the DMA and helping. To give back to the industry, um, and in particular, last and you, you I guess you've heard that. I'm, I'm very interested in the people side of things. Um, <laughs> there is a, there is a talent uh, area sphere within within the DMA, um, and what I, what I wanted to do with you know with Firas and the wider teams the support at DMA was just to really push the the talent agenda um, and look at it from a from a Scottish point of view. Um, And provide a scottish perspective on that um even though many of the the issues you know they're they're not just scottish based they're quite they're quite universal in the context of yeah maturing this data discipline um within organizations and recognizing and nurturing talent around it but there were a couple of big initiatives um the ddi data uh, data driven initiative in in edinburgh and the lovians which is a big inward investment which had a was the core of it is to try, you know, make Scotland the, the data capital of Europe, which is a great ambition. Um, and, um, you know, recognising that, that talent and talent nurturing was a key part of that. But what we really picked up on is, is it seemed to be totally focused on the academic world um, and what we wanted to lobby in for and to sort of drive conversation around was how do we, how do we broaden employers horizons on how they think about data and date and, and nurturing data mm-hmm. talent mm-hmm. um so it culminated over and there's a few um you know like-minded folk within the dma um robin huggins who works for mbn solutions yeah. he, he really really passionate about that particular area
0: he is indeed he's bent my ear about it several times so <laughs> well done, adam, robin.
1: there's a, a guy called adam uh, mclaughlin who works for the, for the royal mail um He's very passionate about that as well. So we just decided to take on, um, you know, a, an initiative um, called democratisation of, of talent. Um, mm. It's always me that comes up with these quite fancy words, but really we wanted to, <laughs> to broaden um, our, our horizons. So thinking right down into the classroom and how you, how you start to embed the, the opportunities and, and what really is working with data and analysis mm. at, at the classroom level. But as importantly i put, uh, I guess where where the widest opportunity is, which is people who are living are employers' employees now um, mm-hmm. and how they can evolve what they currently do into a potential data career and realizing just how an important part data is of everybody's daily life um working life, and just bringing that more to the fore um and also recon- recognizing diversity inclusion is a particular area where mm. The diversity and inclusion uh, um, topic is is particularly pertinent in the in the, in the sort of data sphere.
2: Mm. How we
1: support that and recognise uh, opportunities to allow um, you know individuals from the from the DNI community to be part of just normalise it and be part of a a, a data community. Um, yeah and how employers need to react and change to, to embrace that. So we we've brought that much more to the fore, I guess that's our, our, our aspiration. And then from that point is then start to open up the debate much more in certain areas and recognizing using uh, what's quite ironic sort of segmentation techniques
2: <laughs> to say
1: that you know, there's different parts. When you look at data talent, there's different parts to it and mm. to recognize that and um, make sure that we don't forget that it's not all about investing in, which is in, still important in the academic world. And mm. there's a real big issue, as, as we know, coming out of the pandemic, hopefully as, as soon, uh, with youth unemployment, graduates not being, um, you know, taken on, mm. recognising that's still an issue. And we still need to make sure that um, employers recognise that and, and build what they can through either apprenticeship or, or, or taking on, um, being incentivised to take on graduates and so on and so forth. But... Mm. By the same token, not forgetting that there's other parts to this to this wider story, uh, and to continue to embrace it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, good, good, good to hear that that agenda being advanced. Well done, Howard. Uh, thinking back to your own team, there, your your virtual team at Goldman, <laughs> who you'll hopefully meet in person one day. Um, what do you see as the most important skills? Then, if we were going to get a bit more specific about what skills. What skills do you think that team need to have in order to meet the needs of the business, or, or indeed transform it? So, what beyond technical are you looking for in terms of the skills and those people?
1: Yeah, I was going to start. I always I look at it in sort of three ways: You're, as a practitioner, then inevitably as as a manager and for some of them, um, but then more about the, the the sort of leadership side of things. Um, so i'm looking i I'm, I'm constantly looking to achieve a balance i think um between the the technical capability we we, we needed people in there to, to to sort of take our skill level up and our capability level up yeah um, but I also needed i needed individuals who uh, were able to I was going to have confidence that they would take the company with them um mm. and in doing that that's going to show a certain amount of leadership there's a certain amount of leadership qualities that have to come through um from a very base level and, and you'll know this very well from from being able to tell to tell stories and confidently tell stories indeed um, from from the data um, and also explain these the more technical aspects in as you know in as simplistic a way as possible so that you get maximum uh, buy into what we what we're trying to do um, I'm also looking for you now other core sides which is know resilience and how well to deal with with you know challenge and Mm -hmm. adversity because that happens and it does um uh and and then beyond that it was um it was really about wanting to be part of a a team and take on the aspirations that we have and and be part of that Mm. um and and not necessarily be led by me in, in terms of that journey, but be, be the journey itself and take, take on certain aspects of that. So, you know, what I t- say to um, a research and insight leaders: I want you to be the, you know, the, the customer champion for the organisation. I want you to be so visible in that in that context. And, you know, that takes you on beyond knowing methodology mm. and being able to pull a questionnaire together and then, and then present it. That's more about how do you play into the thought leadership and really start leading the organisation around mm. customer need. Um, so yeah, those are the sorts of, you know, what qualities that I've been looking for, and and also that you know it's recognizing how to to grow and work as a, work as a team, particularly virtually. Um, yeah, yeah, which was a, a newer consideration, but something we definitely knew we had to had to think about when we were thinking about the the right folk, and it was someone who was prepared to be open about you know the there's the the journey we've got going because it's quite it's quite it's not a it's not a straightforward one um but want to go on that and want to really sort of challenge themselves in in doing that so so yeah thought for, fortunately um you know as i don't know if if others have spoken about the recruitment market in these times um i know some of some of my uh, my peers I and mean, have in real struggle trying to find the right people at the moment, but I was quite fortunate and then I had some as I say, people I've worked with before um who became available and wanted to come on that on that journey, but um fortunately managed to find still people in the local market, albeit we are embracing much more people outside of sort of the local region mm. who wanted to come on come on that journey. So I was I've been very fortunate in the and who I've been able to bring in good. in the last few months.
0: Good. Good to good to hear, Howard. And I'm sure your focus on on people development and your your reputation in that um, has helped you. You know, people, too many managers, I think, ignore how much even the most technical graduates or analysts, they're looking for somewhere they think they can thrive, they'll they'll grow, they'll be supported, and that the the people development side matters more than um, some technical leaders give credit to, I think.
2: Absolutely.
0: I I wanted to also come back to um, the fact that the majority of the last decade you spent working within financial services firms. Now, interestingly, in our last episode, I was talking to James Dunlop, who spent most of that time working within largely banks. You've got more of an insurance investment firm kind of focus. I wonder what what appeals? I'm trying to tackle the fact that I know there are a lot of maybe younger analysts out there who think, oh, financial services, that sounds really dull. Why would I want to work there? And yet (laughs) often there are opportunities and decent salaries let's be frank um, for working in financial services sell it to me howard why why have you chosen to work in financial services
1: i think uh if i was going to call something out that should be obvious but maybe not be obvious is they the financial services is everybody has it um Mm. there, there isn't anybody that it doesn't touch um and as a result of that, it's going to be with many people through through their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result of that, you're going to be dealing with large um, transactional and customer orientated data sets. Um, yeah. And I, I guess what's been really interesting in, in the recent years is how sort of open banking has just opened up the, the, the possibilities with, with data and what you can mm-hmm. do with it. Um, mm-hmm. Which is manifesting itself in a, in a lot of the, the interesting developments around mobile applications and, and what you're now able to do across I guess your whole sort of banking portfolio as it were um, yeah. and that's only going to grow and I would I would say that what you have you can have confidence in, in in the financial market is that you've got a great resource to work with um, you're definitely going to have the, the opportunity to explore your analytical Career through, you know, the the investments that they would have made in in technology and investments that they made in in software to help help with that journey. Mm. You've got, um, you know, dealing with customers throughout their lives end to end. You're dealing with not only um, how do you draw someone into the organisation, but a lot of it's about customer management, relationship work, experience work. There's all sorts of facets um, that, while the product might seem dry and not necessarily the most um, you know the most interesting in the, in the context of um, the importance that it plays in, in in your life And what you certainly have is something that's there um, it's got the it's got, it got the sort of mass mass market and it's got um, the intricacies and complexities that I think will draw an analysis naturally in terms of you know how do you continue to to deliver the right service and, and problem solve. Around that, through the use of data and, and, and technology, the opportunities are there, mm. um, and it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, have to be in in a sort of think of the world as sort of maybe an, an actuarial type of outcome, you know, or yeah. you know, you know, and like, like it's an accountancy or something. It's, mm. it's beyond that. You can you can explore every sphere of of, yeah. of, of data analysis and and how you use it. Um, I don't know if,
0: that's, if that sold it enough. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm persuaded, Howard, and I agree. I think you're right to pick up on lots of people will mention the fact there's a ton ton of data and interesting work to do. I think you're right. It's also more deeply that there's a chance to really understand people and a whole diversity of people. And there's, there's tons of customer insight opportunity yeah. in working in financial services, not just model building with tons of data. Yeah. Okay, let's focus in on you particularly. Then we've talked about the development of your people. What about you as a leader? You're a man committed to personal development, Howard. How are you still developing as a leader?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, I think this is one I I constantly re- reflect on. I think um, probably two aspects is one: am I am I still continuing to learn and mm. to grow my knowledge? Um, and in in that respect. Um, I'm conscious of making sure that I keep abreast of of what's going on. Uh, I mean, even you, you know, down utilising your your resources Paul, and just make, keep them constantly mm-hmm. abreast of what's happening. Um, making time for that, um, you can often uh, forget to do those th- those necessary things. Um, I think beyond that, it's it's about what I can give back, um, and I'm enjoying, you know, and that's what the DMA side. Of, I find that richly rewarding. Uh, from that perspective um plus also as i've mentioned in in nurturing and, and, and building teams um and i think also it's um it's more the i guess the emotional side the emotional leadership side uh and making sure you know when i'm working with with peers and colleagues that i continue to recognize some of the things i've known as as that i've recognized as weaknesses um that i've looked to address so one particular area I'm thinking about getting back more readily into is, is coaching. I, I, mm. I enjoyed the time I spent with Standard Life, learnt there, mm. went through their coaching process, mm-hmm. um, which was stimulated at the fact that um, I recognised that perhaps I wasn't listening as much as I needed to uh, in the context of sort of dealing with with people day to day plus within my own team. So I wanted to to challenge myself, but also to sort of grow a uh, grow a new skill. So I'm constantly thinking about um, about how do how do I do that, and, and I've been talking to uh, a lady in our HR department about that in terms of offering out coaching opportunities again um, and just re-engaging with that skill. So I guess it's a balance between keeping yourself abreast as a, a practitioner, mm-hmm. um, looking to give back, and then also just looking at the more sort of emotional leadership type skills and and and, and thinking about those. Not only in your day-to-day interaction with colleagues, but but also just in, you know, some of the techniques I'm really fascinated with the psychology side. You see, even mm-hmm. picked that up Paul, from my market research days. You see, mm-hmm. um, I still enjoy that, and and the co- coaching gives me some of that.
0: Marvelous, marvelous, great summary, Howard. Maybe one day you'll you'll end up as a coach or mentor like me externally. It is yeah, it is. no, and I'm, I'm fulfilling work.
1: I'm not not that like I'm interviewing you, but it, I'm, I was fascinated with your change when we first met and how you'd gone through. You know, from being being someone that's been in the industry for for a number of years working as a practitioner and then coming out to do what you do, uh, it's it's it hasn't appealed to me, um, although I've never really taken the steps that you have, but I, I guess you can see the side the side of the the both sides of the coin, as it were, um the practitioner and then and then the coaching side giving back it it, it interests me absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, it no, absolutely has. And I think there is a a degree of natural momentum through people's career. This is um you're not as old as it being the third act but there's that sort of <laughs> stage where in in your life i think as well as your career the focus on helping others ways that you can give back becomes an immensely rewarding aspect and it people just become i think as they age increasingly more people focused rather than just purely technical skills it's a, it's a good evolution to go through yeah. okay um Let's flip back again, my last chance, because I've, I've asked all leaders this and they've, they've all had useful things to share. So so no pressure. <laughs> um, what, what tips do you have for those who are earlier in their careers? I, I'm always wanting to protect some content on this because the audience listening to this podcast is across a diversity of ages. So there will be those who are younger and newer in their careers as well. What would you be encouraging them to develop as skills and knowledge to set them up for the, for the future?
1: I think it's um, a good question. I think that the there's things around resi- around resilience um, because it might seem that the opportunities aren't quite what you imagine them to be, or they're not manifesting themselves as you, as you would have hoped. Um, but I'd I'd urge folk to stick with it um, because the, this this area is only going to grow more and more in its importance
2: mm-hmm.
1: and its evolution might be slower than some of us would like but in certainly companies and i think the pandemic is going to shift it again are recognizing that they they need these skills mm-hmm. um, and recognizing that they might not necessarily understand exactly all the the, the aspects mm-hmm. of it but they've got to get more more serious about it mm-hmm. i then would think um to grow as much as possible um the softer side of of the role, um, mm. and as we've we've talked about, how do, how do I tell stories? Um, mm. But I would also encourage um, to find like minded people, forums, get in touch with organisations that are running, you know, competitions, courses, whatnot, to 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 act as a forum on which to 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 socialise your skills. Um, mm. Mm. It may seem diffi- more difficult to network. Um, in, in these particular times, but there are so many opportunities and so many organizations that I know of are just desperate to make connections. Yeah. Um, so research that, do as much as you can to get out there and and use those companies as an opportunity to to meet, um, you know, employers uh, and, and also like-minded people that can continue the journey. Because I, as you may have heard, sort of the networking side, the people side of things, Certainly for me, it served me well in my career because it, it's helped me to move and navigate through, through my working life really well.
0: Yeah, good point, Howard. Yeah, and it's, um, I think it's well worth encouraging that. I think by nature, the more analytical can be a little bit more introverted as personality. But it can, those communities of practice, and I agree there are a growing number of opportunities, can, can help you develop hugely. And yeah, your career story is a testimony to the important influence people you meet and work with can be. But pleased to hear you call out resilience as well. I think you make a good point, Howard. I, I think back to a number of people who um, probably still analysts, but toward if you like the data science end of that much more technical, interested in improving their coding and their statistical skills. And there could be a tendency for them to get frustrated with organizations think they hadn't quite got technical enough work. And the only option left to them was to go somewhere else and find somewhere where the grass was greener. And I think sometimes that misses the opportunity to stick with it, as you put it, learn other things, get a more rounded view, and perhaps go on a journey with an organization, as you've said, to to embrace uh, more capability, more opportunity in the future.
2: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Great stuff. Okay, Um, time is against us as ever, though I've really enjoyed this, Howard. Thank you for all you've shared. Final question I've asked every leader on here, because I'm keen to uh, land the message with the audience. The leaders are always growing as well, even though a lot of the guests I have on here, including yourself, Howard, have got uh, illustrious careers and people could feel, <laughs> wow, they've they've succeeded and done well. Um, I don't want anyone to think that anyone on here, including me, is at all the finished article. So can you give us an example of something you've changed your mind on in the last few years?
2: I think
1: it's... Um... How do I describe? I think it's about recognizing where, 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 where's the best opportunity fit for you. And I'm explaining that very well. So I, I take it in the context of taking on the contract and then going into to Golden Charter. Mm. I've just, I guess I'm learning to, to not necessarily dig a certain career path and where you should, where you think you should go and be open to. To opportunities and embrace those when they, when they when they come along. Um, I think that's probably in the last in the last two years. That's what I've 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 cha- where I've changed the most. I've taken on something that I probably wouldn't have if you if it had been in different circumstances in different times. I probably wouldn't have taken right. it on. And I know Karen, if she listens to this, knows that because we had that conversation. Right.
2: Um,
1: but I think I guess I've I've looked at it and tr- and and weighing up. Um, the opportunity uh, and and just going, you know, I'm going to go and embrace that, even though it doesn't feel, it feel hundred percent right. I'm going to go and give it a go. And I'm so glad that I I did that because I'm enjoying, really enjoying my time with Golden Charter at this point. Um, So I don't know if that's (laughs) that enlightening, but don't necessarily, you know, when you get, we're talking about our our tender age, (laughs) Paul, I think you can, you can start to get a bit more prescriptive of yourself about nice. where you want to mm-hmm. where you want to be, um, and so don't be open to yeah open to something that you might not necessarily have thought you would be doing because um, it because it will it will surprise you I think.
0: Nice Howard, nice and a nicely different answer. Some of that mindful openness to uh, to what emerges. Thank you, thank you. I like yeah. that. That's great. Thanks for that. Um, many thanks for giving your time for this chat today, Howard, Enjoy as it. I knew it would be pleasure to chat to you and you. Cheers, Cheers, Howard. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you listeners for listening. Um, I hope you found it helpful and continue to listen to the customer insight leader podcast, more great interviews coming up. And each week there's also fresh content on our blog, customer insight leader, or one word.com. So you might want to check that out too. Before then, All that remains is for me to say thank you again for your time, have a good week, and however lockdown you are right now, stay safe, keep well, and maybe develop some of that resilience. Bye, everybody.